0: Love you well, if you have a Bible and I hope that you or somebody you around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to matthew chapter twenty eight if, if we uh, well, we do have some of the screens back. I'll, I might have some of these verses on the screens if you don't have a Bible, but hopefully you have one you can look on right in front of you. I've been wrestling all the way up to this morning with how this talk was going to come together tonight, but in my time with God this morning in prayer for you and just my regular Bible reading, God led me in an unmistakable way. And I so want to reflect to you what I believe he is saying to you, to all of us. I obviously don't know all of you, but I was praying this morning as best as I could for every single person in this stadium right now, knowing none of you are here by accident. Everybody here by appointment. Appointment with God and I've got a lot of ground to cover in a little bit of time So if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to do with all these talks I want to show you three pictures first a picture of God's Word Second a picture of the world and then third a picture of your life in this world So let's start with the picture in God's word. If somebody ever says to you they have a word from God, your immediate reaction should be, show it to me, here. Because no word from God is ever going to contradict what's here. So you test what I'm about to say from this word. I wanna show you one truth tonight I'm going to take you on a rapid-fire tour through the New Testament so you can see if this statement is indeed true or not. So here's the truth. Maybe I'll put it up here on the screen, or maybe not. So write it down. God desires and decrees for people from all nations to hear and receive the good news of his great love in Jesus. That's, that's the truth, that God desires this. That this is God's passion for people from all the nations to hear and receive the good news, the gospel of his great love in Jesus. God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not go to an everlasting hell of fire and judgment, but will have everlasting life with him now on this earth and forever with him in heaven. And God decrees for all people to know this news. So let's start this tour in Matthew chapter 28. Right after Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the grave to make a way for all who hear and receive his love to be saved from their sins, he commands his followers, go therefore and make disciples of all Nations. Pontata ethne, of all the ethnic groups, the people groups of the earth. So don't just think the 200 or so geopolitical entities like we might think of 200 or so nations, the United Nations today. Think tribes and languages and people groups, ethnic groups like the Berber of Morocco or the Pashtun of Afghanistan, or the Fulani of Nigeria, or the Vanessa people, and thousands of other people groups in the world. God decrees, commands his followers to go to all of them with the good news of his great love. That leads to Acts chapter one and two where my Bible reading just so happened to be this morning when right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says virtually the same thing he said in Matthew 28, now in Acts 1.8. So you can turn to these passages or maybe just write them down as we go through them. Jesus tells his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you see it? God desires the ends of the earth to hear and receive the good news of his love so much that he fills his followers with the power of his own spirit. And he decrees for them, you will be witnesses. You will speak about the good news from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to every place and people group on the planet. Then, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on the 120 or so of these followers of Jesus who are gathered in Jerusalem. He fills them with his Spirit, and do you know what they start doing? Acts 2, 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word, tongues, there is a reference to other languages that people spoke. And we know that because of what the next verses say. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. God supernaturally fills his people with his spirit so that all these people from all these nations hear about his mighty love for them. So what Louis just said is true. God desires and decrees for people from all nations to hear and receive this message in each of their heart languages. But here's the problem. You keep reading into Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way to Acts chapter 8. These followers of Jesus are staying in Jerusalem with this word. They're not going into Judea, or Samaria, or the ends of the earth, until Stephen is stoned at the end of Acts chapter 7, then read what Acts chapter 8 says. Acts 8, 1, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. you see it? The word is spreading into judea and samaria just as god had decreed that leads to acts chapter 11 verse 19 where we read that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over stephen what we just read about traveled as far as phoenicia and cyprus and antioch speaking the word to no one except jews but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Do you see it? They're speaking this word, first just to Jewish people, but then they start preaching, speaking the good news of God's love in Jesus to the Hellenists, the Greeks also. So different nations, people groups. And a great number of them receive this news. They believe it and they trust in Jesus. All that happens at Antioch. So now fast forward to Acts chapter 13 where we read what happened next. They were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. So catch this. In a worship gathering, not unlike this in Antioch, they're worshiping there, and the Holy Spirit moves in an unmistakable way, oh, that this would happen in this place like it did on that day. The Holy Spirit moves in power and says, I'm setting apart some of you, Barnabas and Saul, for work that I'm calling you to. And what's that work? To go to new places, Seleucia, Cyprus, Salamis, and proclaim the word of God, the good news of God's great love in Jesus to more people in more nations. Now, instead of reading what happens next, let me show it to you. Here's a map on the screen that shows what happens starting in Acts chapter 13 here at Antioch. So the Holy Spirit in a worship gathering says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. And these arrows, these kind of pinkish arrows, are them going out from Antioch. And they're going to all these different places and in each of these places, new places where the gospel, the good news of God's love in Jesus had never gone. And in all these places, they're proclaiming that word and people are trusting in Jesus and churches are starting. Then these other arrows depict them traveling back and encouraging all those churches as they come back to Antioch. That then sets the stage for another journey Again, they leave Antioch, Paul, this time with Silas. They pick up Timothy along the way, and you'll notice they go to some of these same places they've already been. But then right around here, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10 in your Bible, the spirit of Jesus comes to Paul, and he stops him from going this way, then stops him from going that way, and then gives him a vision of a man from Macedonia up here, in the northwestern part of this map, saying, come over here and help us, bring this good news to us. So Paul says, we left there and we started going to these places you might recognize from the Bible. Philippi, Thessalonica, down into Athens, Corinth, and in all these places, it was the first time the good news of God's great love in Jesus came to those places and people They heard it, they received it, they believed it. Christians, churches were formed in all these different places. They make their way down to Jerusalem and then back up to Antioch. That sets the stage for a third journey. But you'll notice on this journey, Paul leaves Antioch, but this time he doesn't go to any new places. And he gets to the city of Corinth. And when he gets there, he's taking an offering down to Jerusalem, but he writes a letter to the church at Rome. And I want you to listen to what he says. This is fascinating. Romans chapter 15, verse 19. He says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand." This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you in Rome, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. What a statement. Like Paul just recapped all the places he's been, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. I've proclaimed the gospel, and now there's no more work. I have no more work to do in these regions. What an absurd statement. Like with all due respect, Paul, you're in Corinth. The place was messed up. The church, the city, there's a ton of work to do there and in this whole region. So what's Paul saying? He's saying the good news of God's love in Jesus has come to these places. But there are places where Jesus' name has not been made known. They've never heard of him. They've never seen him. They've never been told of him. And God has told us, as it is written, he has decreed that we would go and tell them about Jesus. And Paul specifically mentions Spain. So I'll show you one last map. So here's Antioch over here. Here's Corinth. And here's Rome. Now it makes sense why Paul would write a letter when he's on his way to Jerusalem to the church at Rome. Because he wants them to help him get the gospel where? To Spain, why? Because they haven't heard it yet. There was a nation, there were people and people groups who still hadn't heard And Paul knew God desires and decrees for people from all nations to hear and receive the good news of his great love in Jesus. Now, this is where the story of Acts and really the story of the New Testament ends. Paul actually makes it to Rome, but he makes it there in chains, and he dies there never to make it to Spain. And that's where the Bible leaves off with more people and more nations waiting to hear and receive the good news of God's love in Jesus and with God decreeing for his people to go to them. But before we finish this tour, I want to read from the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. So just in case you're still not convinced that this statement is true. Let's look at the end of the whole story, like the whole story of the whole world, including you and me and everybody in it. Revelation chapter 5 gives us a glimpse of where all history is headed. We read this, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Now, for context, this scroll contains God's plan for the final coming of his kingdom, for the ultimate eradication of sin and evil and suffering and death in this world. So, Who can bring that about? Verse 3 says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John, the disciple who is writing this, at this moment is considering the prospect of all the evil and Sin and suffering and death of this world never coming to an end. And he's weeping loudly until verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Enter Jesus. And what follows is one of the most vivid scenes in the entire Bible with Jesus at the center of it all in beautiful, powerful, symbolic language between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked And I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you see it Do you see it? This is the whole reason for which God sent Jesus to be slain on a cross, to shed his blood, to ransom. What a word! To ransom, to rescue. One Bible dictionary says this word means to cause the release. The freedom of someone by a means which proves costly to the individual causing the release. Jesus was slain and he shed his blood to ransom, to rescue people for God from where? Every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. God desires for people from all the nations to hear and receive the good news of his great love, his great rescue in Jesus. And one day, because of his people's obedience to his decree, it will happen. Last passage, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from and decrees for people from all nations to hear and receive, not just receive, rejoice in the good news of his great love in Jesus. That's the picture in God's word. Now, let me give you a picture of the world today with this desire and decree in God. Let me show you a map up here on the screen that shows the world today in terms of access to this good news. Radical put this map together as a part of a project called Stratus, you can go to stratus.earth and interact with this map. So here we are right now over here in Atlanta. Obviously not all of us live here, Most of us live here in the United States. Really, the majority of us live in a smaller portion of the United States in a green nation, which on this map means that the gospel has come here and churches have been planted here. Obviously, that doesn't mean that everyone is a Christian here. Far from it. We're like Corinth messed up churches and messed up cities. But it does mean that people here have access to the good news of God's great love in Jesus through Christians and churches here. We are quite possibly in the place in the world with the most access to this good news. But the more yellow you get on this map, the less access you find to the gospel, all the way to the orange and finally the red which represent nations in the world with the least access to the gospel. So those in the orange and the red here, and especially the dark red, are considered unreached by the gospel. Now, let's be clear what we mean by that term. Unreached doesn't just mean they don't have faith in Jesus. That's true of people all over this map. It means they don't have access to someone who can tell them about Jesus. They don't have followers of Jesus or churches proclaiming the good news of God's great love. They are unreached by the gospel. This is why we don't say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world. I mean, there's unreached people on my campus. There's unreached people in my neighborhood. Well, those people are not unreached. You say, how do you know? Because they're on your campus. They're in your neighborhood. They have access to the gospel. You're it. We're talking about people who don't have anyone near them to tell them about Jesus. And practically, if you live in one of these orange-red areas, the likelihood is you will be born, you will live, and you will die, and you will never even hear about how Jesus has died on the cross to rescue us for God, for eternal life with him. And the Bible is clear. Follow this. It's quite a noise, isn't it? You know, I've been struck all night long sitting over here By all the ways the adversary would love to distract you in this room, and all the ways the adversary would love to keep you, I guarantee you he does not want you to hear this word from God. So I want to encourage you to lean in. and In the next few minutes, do not let anything distract you from hearing his voice. Could just pray that God help us no matter what happens with technology or sounds or anything help us to hear your voice clearly in this room in Jesus name amen pretty awesome, it got kind of quiet. So, especially this point, like you live in one of these orange red areas, likelihood is you'll be born, you'll live and you'll die. You'll never even hear about how Jesus has died on the cross to rescue us for God and eternal life with him. And the Bible is clear that if you never hear this good news, then you can't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you can't experience God's love and salvation from sin. In other words, unreached people who were born and live and die without ever hearing the gospel experience eternal suffering in hell when they die. Some of you might immediately think, surely God wouldn't let them go to hell when they've never heard. And I don't have time to dive into that tonight. But if that's a question in your mind, then just search what happens to people who never hear the gospel and my name, and you'll find plenty on that topic, on how the Bible is crystal clear that people cannot be saved from their sins by Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus, and they can't believe in Jesus if they never hear about Jesus. That's why the book of Romans says We need to get the gospel to Spain, to people who haven't heard it, because they can't call on the name of the Lord if they don't hear about him. And how will they hear about him if we don't go preach it, share it with them? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, which leads then to the inevitable question. How many people are we talking about here in the orange and the red? And as best as we can tell, there are approximately 3.2 billion people who are unreached by the gospel today. They comprise thousands of people groups, language groups, like you heard about tonight, who have either never heard the name of Jesus Like, I think about people I've met in orange and red parts of the world who I've said, what do you know about Jesus? And they look back at me and say, who's that? They've never heard his name before. Or they've never heard the truth about God's love for them in Jesus. 3.2. people who, if nothing changes, are on a road that leads to an eternal hell without ever even hearing about God's love, God's rescue for them in Jesus. But here's the challenge. A number like that feels so distant from us, doesn't it? Like 3.2 billion people. How do you even comprehend that? So with this picture in the world, I wanna bring it down to just one of them. Can I take a couple of minutes just to introduce you to one unreached person in the world? A little girl who brings together themes that have consistently been a part of passion for the last 20 years, going back to when I was in college and God spoke clearly to me in a session just like this. So imagine one person, one, Nine-year-old girl named Malia. Her name means beautiful. She was born into a remote, unreached people group that lives high up in the Himalayas, in the heart of the red on this map. I should mention, we designed that map specifically not just to depict spiritual need, need for the gospel in the world, but also physical need. In other words, the more orange or red you see on the map, the more you see both people who have never heard the gospel and people who are experiencing deep, physical suffering. From the moment she entered the world, Malia and her family struggled to survive without clean water, sufficient food, basic medical care. Imagine her mother's hope then when a young man came through the village one day and saw Malia outside washing the family's clothes in the local water tap. The man knew where Malia lived, so he went to her home and introduced himself to her mother. He said, I've noticed your daughter is very beautiful. A proud mom responded, she is, and she's a hard worker, too. She takes care of her younger siblings. She helps me with whatever I need. Malia had never been to school. Besides the fact that no school existed within a day's walk, even if one did, Malia wouldn't have been able to attend. Her father had left her mother years prior, and Malia had a younger sister and brother to care for. That didn't bother Malia, though. She loved her family deeply, prided herself in helping provide for them. A year before, Malia's younger brother had become severely sick from a simple stomach infection due to dirty drinking waters. Malia's mom had trekked down the mountain that week, and it fell upon Malia, this little girl, to nurse her brother back to health, which she did successfully. As long as her mom and her siblings were healthy, Malia was happy. Yes, the man said, I've noticed your husband is gone, and you have three kids to take care of by yourself. I'd like to help provide for you and your family. Malia's mom was intrigued. She asked, what can you do? And the man said, there's opportunity for work down in the city at the base of these mountains. So many jobs exist that can provide so much money for families like yours in these villages. Malia's mom leaned in, now listening intently, and the man said, I I know that you need to stay here in order to provide for your children and tend your land, but I'd be willing to take your daughter with me down to the city where she could do some of the same jobs that she does around the village here, but she could make much more money. She could then send that money back to support you and her brother and sister. And at the same time, the man said, she'd be well taken care of with plenty of water and plenty of food and a nice home along with other girls her age. At this point, the man had Malia's mom's attention. She listened, she thought, could this really be true? Could this be the answer to what my family most needs for me and my little boy and my little girl to be provided for, all while my oldest daughter is cared for by this kind man in the city? But as these questions swirled in her mind, she immediately thought, "No, I can't be separated from Malia. She means so much to me." So Malia's mom looked back at the man and said, "Thank you so much for your kind offer, but I believe my daughter needs to stay with me." And the man was disappointed, but he said, "Why don't you think about it some more?" and I may come back another day to talk about it again. Malia's mom was hesitant to acquiesce even to this request, but not wanting to shame the man, he, she said politely that'd be fine and sent him on his way. And in the days to come, as hard as Malia's mom tried, she couldn't get this man's offer out of her mind. She would look at beautiful, hard-working Malia and think, I think Malia would want to go with that man, knowing she... Could provide even more for our family and the man seems so nice I bet Malia would enjoy his company maybe somebody like him would even marry her one day but she still couldn't bear the thought of sending her daughter away while she was so young until one day the man returned to Malia's home and again Malia was away doing chair- chores the man approached Malia's mom with a smile and he said I've been thinking more about our conversation a few weeks ago and I understand you're hesitant to send your daughter to the city with me, but I've come today with a pledge that I hope will demonstrate my desire to provide for you. Malia's mom sat down, looked at the man, and he said, it's a pledge of my promise to provide for you, and your family here, your daughter in the city, I want to give you a, a gift of 10,000 rupees. Malia's mom's eyes immediately widened. 10,000 rupees is the equivalent of about $100 and amounts to about a half a year's wages for Malia's mom. She starts thinking, this man is more generous than anyone I've met in my entire life. And then the man said, I promise to bring your daughter back up these mountains with me once a year to see you and spend time with a brother and sister. I know that's important to you and to them. About this time, Malia returned home, saw the man conversing with her mom. Malia's mom looked over at her and after a long paused she asked Malia to come sit on her lap and she said Malia this man has come to offer help to you and to our family. Malia smiled hesitantly as her mother continued he's willing to take you down into the city at the bottom of these mountains and you can live there and work with some other girls your age and you'll have all the food and all the water you want and you live in a nice place where this man will take care of you. You'll do some of the same kind of work you do here, but the difference is you'll be able to make a lot of money that you can send back to help your sister and your brother and me. That after you've worked for a while, this man will bring you back up the mountain so you can visit us and see all the ways you've helped us. As her mother spoke, Malia's eyes welled up with tears. She thought, no, I can't leave my family. But the more her mom talked, the more she realized this was an opportunity to help The people she loved the most, sure, there was risk. Malia had never been out of these mountains before, but even if things didn't go well, she'd be able to come back to her village and live with her family again. So Malia's mom gazed at her daughter, both of them now in tears, and she said, I believe it would be best for you and for our family for you to go with this kind man. Malia looked up into her mom's eyes, believing her mom loved her and knew what was best, and she said, I'll do whatever you want to provide for you and my sister and my brother. So arrangements were made over the coming days and the man returned with his 10,000 rupee pledge and a tearful departure ensued as Malia hugged her mom and her little sister and her brother and she set off down the trail with this man. They arrived in the city late one evening and immediately went to a restaurant to get something to eat. But this restaurant was different from other restaurants. It's called a cabin restaurant. It sat alongside a row of other restaurants, but the booths in this restaurant were unique. They were more like cubicles, wood frames starting at the the floor and reaching all the way to the ceiling, dividing each booth from the next so that no one could see into or out of the booth. Small table sitting in the middle of each booth with a bench wrapped around it. Other girls, all of them older than Malia, sat at the front of the restaurant. She assumed they were resting after a long day of work. She smiled as she walked past them. And the man led Malia into one of the booths where she sat down and had a large plate of food placed in front of her, famished from this journey, quite honestly never having seen this much food on one plate before she ate it all. And then the man escorted her to her room upstairs, a small room with a cot-like bed in the corner a dirty sheet covering the thin mattress. And the man said, you can give me your bag. I'll get you some brand new clothes you can wear tomorrow. And in the meantime, you sleep well tonight, and I'll see you in the morning. Amelia Malia obliged, she was tired to say the least. And though she missed her family, she was thankful she finally was at the place where she could live and provide for them. And she thought, I need to get a good night's rest so I can work hard tomorrow like those other girls before coming back here for dinner. And with that, she fell quietly asleep, never dreaming that this would be her last peaceful night of sleep for years to come. And no, I won't share the details of what happened the next day and night and day and night to hurt Malia's body and break Malia's spirit with no way out. As Malia was told, she had to do whatever men told her to do in order to support her family back home, and that if she stopped, they would bring her little sister to take her place. Little did Malia know that her mom never received another rupee. And for all her mom, little brother, and little sister knew, Malia had completely forgotten about them when she got to the big city. Even if Malia could have escaped, where would she go? She had no clue where she was, Any idea how to get home? She knew no one but the people who owned her. She had nothing to her name. The only thing she had was her shame. A cursed woman in a religious culture that believes your present place in life is what you deserve based on your behavior in a past life. Numbers seem distant. But I know personally that everything changes when you walk through Malia's village in those mountains. And then you walk through city streets filled with cabin restaurants where girls sit as slaves outside waiting to provide services in cubicles inside. And don't miss the ultimate tragedy in it all. Malia has never ever Ever heard who Jesus is or what Jesus has done. Malia is living in an earthly hell and no one, no one, no one has ever told her how she can be saved from an eternal hell. No one has ever told her that God loves her so much that he gave his son to give his life, to shed his blood so that she could be ransomed, rescued. Jesus has come so that Malia and three billion other people in this evil, broken world can be ransomed and rescued. Now, obviously, not all 3 billion unreached people are in Malia's physical situation, but don't miss the point. We have in our minds right now a picture of unimaginable earthly suffering. A picture, by the way, that is played out in different ways among millions of unreached people, but don't miss the point. All 3.2 billion billion of them are on a road that leads to unimaginable, eternal suffering. Suffering that will never, ever, ever, ever end. And you and I in this stadium have the news of rescue. You and I know the rescuer. We know the one who has laid down his life for sinners all over the world, the one who's paid the costly price, secured the ultimate release from sin and evil and suffering and death for people from every tribe and language and nation to reign with him forever. Do you see it? Based on all that we saw in God's word, God desires Malia. He desires Malia to hear and receive and enjoy, rejoice in his love for her. The question in this stadium tonight is, do we want that for her? Do we, as followers of Jesus, want Malia and billions, like her, from every tribe and language and people and nation to be ransomed and rescued by Jesus so much that we will pay whatever price our Savior calls us to pay to reach them. And follow this. It's where the picture in God's Word, the picture of the world, lead to a picture of your life. How are you gonna spend your life? And based on this picture of God's Word and this picture in the world, I want to plead with you tonight to refuse to settle for a casual, comfortable, cultural Christianity that totally ignores the Malias of the world. I want to plead with you to refuse to do what millions of Christians, and leaders and churches are doing in our country, turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to 3.2 billion people and thousands of people groups who've never heard the gospel. And I know some people are wondering, are you just trying to manipulate emotions with a story like Malia's? And my answer is I'm praying that God will awaken our emotions to see just a tiny glimpse of what he sees every single day. What's he seeing right now happen around the world to so many people that we might feel just a tiny bit of the love our God has for individual people who are hurting in this broken world. And that we might refuse to stick our heads in the sand and move on like they don't exist. Not when God has decreed, Jesus has commanded us to give our lives to this. Make disciples of all the nations. Spread the good news of my great love in Jesus to all the peoples. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Be finished and done with a form of Christianity that says, pray a prayer, go to church, live it up in this world, go to some conferences, and coast your way to heaven. That's not Christianity because it's not following Christ. To follow Jesus is to let his worldwide plan of ransom and rescue dictate everything you think, desire, and do dictate your plans, dreams, how you're gonna live and what degree you're gonna get and how you're gonna make and spend money for the spread of God's great love in Jesus among the nations, who you're gonna marry. Don't marry somebody whose heart doesn't beat for the spread of the gospel among the nations. You will waste your life if you get caught up in this American dream. Don't do it. Lift your eyes above the distractions in this world. Look at the destiny of this world. The train of history is headed toward people from every nation, tribe and tongue, enjoying and praising Jesus. So jump on that train. The purpose of your life in this world is to make the good news of God's great love in Jesus known throughout this world. And you are not living if you're not living for this. Now, so I close. I want to make sure two quick but important things are clear. One, to anyone listening right now, who has been hurt in similar ways to Malia, who might even be tempted to think, I've been broken in ways I don't have anything to offer. I want to encourage you as you walk through what seems like a never-ending process of healing in Jesus' hands, I wanna encourage you, you have so much to offer to those who have no idea who Jesus is. You have the greatest news in the world for those who are hurting, that this healing process is not never ending, that your healing will one day be whole. As a result of his ultimate rescue, God's glory shines in this broken world, not only through strengths, but also through scars. And second, I wanna make sure it's very clear and using language of ransom and rescue, that we are not the rescuers. That's how a mission in the world has often been painted. People from one part of the world coming to rescue, save. People in another part of the world. That's not at all what we're talking about here. Christian brother or sister, we are not rescuers. We are the rescued. Every single follower of Jesus was trapped in slavery to sin and death. Jesus shed his blood to ransom, rescue you and me. So now it makes sense, doesn't it? When we see others, In slavery to sin and evil and suffering in this world, we don't sit back when we know the one who can rescue them forever. We give our lives making the worth of Jesus the rescuer, known among every people, nation, tribe, and language because our God desires it and our God has decreed for us to live for this. I'll show you one final picture a painting that hangs on the wall in my house. It was painted by girls who have been rescued from trafficking in the city I talked about, by young girls who because somebody followed the decree of God, with the desire of God, introduced them to Jesus, the rescuer, who has redeemed, ransomed them in a way that they now sing Let the peoples praise you, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. I have a word from God for you tonight. Live for this. If necessary, die for this. For people from all nations to hear and receive the good news of God's great love in Jesus. Oh God, we pray for Malia and for 3.2 billion other people like her. God, if I could just be so bold, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and I pray I've accurately reflected tonight and cause ripple effects among the nations for the glory of Jesus' name. I pray That just as the roar of sound above us, that the roar of your great love in Jesus would echo among tribes and peoples and languages and nations because of what your spirit does in the lives of those who are gathered in this stadium tonight. God, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. Amen.